Hey there. Oklahoma voters did not pass recreational legalization, and now conservatives want to crack down on the medical marijuana program as well. On the federal level, why is legalization taking so long? And why are they trying to block cannabis consumers from their Second Amendment right? California's Emerald Triangle is facing socioeconomic collapse. We've got that and so much more. So get ready, because this is the M News Now. Oklahoma could have been the 22nd state in the country to legalize cannabis for recreational use, but those dreams have come crashing down. On Tuesday, March 7, citizens in this state rejected a measure to legalize adult use within the state, with nearly 62% of people voting against it and only 38% in favor. Going into that vote, though, it looked like things could really go either way. But for advocates, this loss was a huge disappointment considering how much support they felt that there was and the many positive benefits that could have happened with legalization. Oklahoma already has the most popular medical marijuana program in the country per capita, with nearly 10% of the state residents acquiring a valid MedCard since it was legalized by voters back in 2018. Legalizing recreational use now could have given the state nearly half a billion dollars in excise tax revenue over the first five years of retail sales. And legalizing recreational use now could have given the state nearly half a billion dollars in excise tax revenue over the first five years of retail sales. Legalization could have also drastically reduced costs within the criminal justice system for the state as well, with law enforcement and courts being alleviated of the nearly 4,500 people who are annually arrested for cannabis possession in Oklahoma. However, despite popularity and potential revenue benefits, the opponents pushed hard and they obviously won this time. One very key reason why it didn't pass could have had to do with timing. This measure was supposed to have appeared on the November 2022 ballot, when voter turnout would have been very high, due to the fact that there was many issues for citizens to vote on at that time. But thanks to some creative political opposition, that measure was forced off of the November ballot. And once that happened, the governor, Kevin Stitt, set the measure up for doom by relegating it to a highly unusual special election in March which basically ensured that far fewer voters would turn up. One professor of political science at the University of Oklahoma, Michael Crespin, summed it up when he told MJ Biz Daily, it was a direct attempt. Let's make this the least likely to pass and at a time when it's not going to hurt any other elections at the ballot. Additionally, the governor, along with other conservative legislators in control of the government, have been trying to push the idea that voters were misled into approving the earlier medical marijuana legalization initiative back in 2018. Pat McFerrin's the Republican leader of the opposition's campaign, and he told MJ Biz Daily that if voters reject adult use legalization, then the existing legal medical program should subsequently be reined in and restricted. He said, there's an element of our coalition that's saying, if we defeat this, this gives the legislator impetus to go in and clean up the medical situation we have. Industry insiders are seriously fearful of what the governor and those conservative legislators have in mind for the state's existing medical marijuana program. Joanna Hamrick, who's the director of operations and sales at a cultivation company called Primal Cannabis, as well as being a board member of the Oklahoma Cannabis Industry Association, told MGBiz Daily that she is afraid that legislators and government officials will create more restrictions. She said, they're going to put the hammer down. When is cannabis going to be federally legalized? What's taking so long? And is it ever going to happen? These are the questions that are most pressing on the minds of cannabis advocates and fans across America. Time keeps ticking on and the progress feels so slow. 
This past week, Attorney General Merrick Garland said the Department of Justice is, quote, still working on creating a marijuana policy, and added that they're also continuing to work on reviewing cannabis' status on the Controlled Substances Act. That, of course, is because on October 6, 2022, President Biden had directed the Attorney General and the Secretary of Health and Human Services to officially review the Schedule I classification of cannabis. And his request was not just to review it, but more importantly, to come to an answer on the subject, and to do it quickly. The Attorney General Garland said that it's fair to expect that a new cannabis policy will, quote, be very close to what was done in the Cole Memorandum. That Cole Memorandum he's referencing was an Obama-era policy that basically told federal prosecutors to generally not interfere with states' management of their own cannabis laws. But unfortunately, that direction was later rescinded by Attorney General Jeff Sessions under President Trump's administration. Merrick Garland said that one of the reasons why the new cannabis policy is not quite done yet is because they've had to finalize working on more pressing items for the department. One Washington legislator who has been a very strong advocate for cannabis legalization reform, Democratic representative from Oregon Earl Blumenauer, has spent some of his time this past week promoting and passing around a letter that he would like his fellow legislators to sign. It asks for very clear and compelling reasons for whatever is the final decision on that cannabis policy. Blumenauer's letter stated that, in part, quote, To ensure accountability in your conclusions, which has been absent in so much of the history of federal marijuana regulation, transparency is key. We urge you to make available for public review and comment any evidence cited to demonstrate marijuana is more prone to drug abuse than descheduled substances already regulated at the state level. So in other words, he's looking for them to be held accountable for whatever they decide and to defend their reasons for that. Blumenauer has also been urging the administration to completely remove cannabis from the Controlled Substances Act, as opposed to rescheduling it to a lower level. Merrick Garland, for his part, has repeatedly stated that he does not believe that the federal government should be wasting time and resources on the prosecution of people who are in compliance with state legal cannabis. He said over and over that he does not believe it's a good use of the government's resources. He's also written about the negative effects of keeping cannabis criminalized at the federal level and pointed out that it's led to mass incarceration and racial disparities in our criminal justice system, as well as making it difficult for millions of Americans to find employment or other benefits such as housing due to criminal records for nonviolent offenses. But despite Garland's obviously strong conviction on this subject, in the five months since the president's request to look into this matter, there's been no official change made yet in cannabis policy or schedule status. So without yet having an official government policy, Garland's statements are just his personal viewpoint and therefore has no real bearing on the lives and businesses of cannabis consumers across the nation. In other words, it's just lip service at this point until actual change is made. So until that happens, cannabis's current federal status will continue to create myriads of barriers and problems for the industry. The federal government seems to want to keep everyone who's used cannabis away from their Second Amendment right to bear arms. The current federal law bans anyone who uses cannabis, even medical patients, from owning firearms. And they'll face felony charges if they lie about their marijuana use on the federal firearm application. Recently, in an Oklahoma court, though, a judge had ruled that banning cannabis users from owning guns is actually unconstitutional. That case had stemmed from a traffic stop where police found a loaded revolver and marijuana inside of a car. The state brought charges against the man, and the judge heard both sides, but ultimately he decided to dismiss the case. That judge, Patrick Wyrick, had said that the federal statute, which specifically says it prohibits any, quote, unlawful user 
of a controlled substance from possessing firearms is, in the judge's words, unconstitutionally vague, in violation of the Due Process Clause, and unconstitutionally infringes upon his fundamental right to possess a firearm, in violation of the Second Amendment. The judge even went on and said that this ban was very concerning, and he quoted the Second Amendment, which reads, in part, The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Well, even though the judge did make this ruling, the U.S. government, via the Department of Justice, officially filed an appeal over that ruling on Friday, March 3, 2023. Florida has a similar case that's been working its way through the court systems there. But in Florida, they had a different outcome, with the courts ruling against cannabis users' Second Amendment rights. Cannabis advocates and supporters have long been saying that this ban is unconstitutional. And what it does is force cannabis consumers to either give up their Second Amendment right to bear arms or lie on the application or purchase firearms on the black market. There are some legislators, though, that are working to try to restore this Second Amendment right for cannabis users. One GOP congressman filed a bill this past January 2023 that hopes to change the law so that at least medical marijuana patients could bear arms. The bill was filed a few years back as well, but at that time it had failed to pass. It's hoped that the more recent legalization momentum will help to get this latest version of the bill passed. And to make that happen, we can all play a part. As always, reach out to your local representatives and let them know where you stand. California's legal cannabis market continues to suffer. Greatly. And now a large group of cultivators in California's famed Cannabis Emerald Triangle are saying that they're facing socioeconomic collapse and they're begging the state government for help. Some data that was recently released shows that California's legal cannabis sales declined for the year of 2022. This is the first yearly decline since California's legal cannabis began sales in 2018, according to MJ Biz. They've had monthly declines before, but this is the first full yearly decline. This decline has also brought down the Golden State's tax revenue from cannabis. This isn't shocking information to those in the California industry, as overtaxation has shrunk the legal market and increased the illegal one. California's government officials did recently listen to the industry pleas and they adjusted some taxation issues. They shifted excise tax from growers onto retailers. This did help the growers, but it didn't help the rest of the industry. And overall, the same problems remain and the prices are still just as high. This latest decline in sales in 2022 translated to a $300 million tax revenue loss for the state. But since money seems to make the world go round, perhaps this revenue decline will get officials' attention and motivate them to work with the industry to make some real, positive change. Just about a month ago, a trade organization made up of Northern California cannabis farmers sent a letter to California's government urging for intervention to save their cultivation permits and shared how they have been particularly hard hit with financial struggles. That group, called the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, represents hundreds of small cannabis farmers in Mendocino County. The group's letter, sent to Governor Gavin Newsom and the California Department of Cannabis Control, pointed out that for several years, many cannabis cultivators and companies have tried to do things the legal way. Thus far, they've only been operating on provisional licenses. But these temporary provisional licenses are set to expire this year, in July 2023. The Mendocino cultivators have been trying hard, like others in this state, to get those provisional licenses turned into permanent ones so that they can continue operations after July of this year. 
However, according to the letter, they say that local licensing dysfunction has led to only six farmers who've been able to turn their provisional license into full annual state cultivation licenses. Those six farmers represent less than 1% of the 841 Mendocino County cultivators who've been operating on provisional permits and trying to transition to permanent ones. Their trade group letter says that even with great optimism, they only expect that perhaps a quarter of the remaining provisional permit holders could possibly be able to get their full license before the July 1st deadline. That would mean there would still be at least 600 cultivators who are put out of business in July. Their letter said that these estimates of 75% of cultivators being unable to get a permanent license, despite beginning the process in 2017, is unacceptable. They also went on to detail what they thought were the problems with the county-level licensing procedures. And they also compared their plight to very similar ones that were in other nearby counties, such as Humboldt and Trinity. These counties are colloquially known as the Emerald Triangle, which is famed for their long history within the cannabis industry, even beginning the legalization movement for the state. It's tragic to think that some of them will be put out of business because of bureaucratic delays in the licensing system. The executive director of the Mendocino Cannabis Alliance, Michael Katz, said that if something drastic isn't done, there'll be a tremendous trickle-down effect on the local economy due to all these hundreds of businesses that will have to close. He said, It's a community-wide socioeconomic collapse that we're headed for if we can't provide support to help the small batch operators weather this downturn. Their letter was sent in early February. So far, there's been no response to the letter from the governor's office or from the California Department of Cannabis Control. But this issue is one that will have to be closely watched as we get closer to that impending July licensing deadline. Florida voters approved medical marijuana back in 2016, but recreational legalization efforts have thus far failed to yield any positive results. There have been efforts, though, by groups such as Make It Legal Florida and Sensible Florida, but unfortunately, the state Supreme Court has ruled that their proposed measures had misleading language and therefore were invalid. But now, though, things are looking more positive for a measure on recreational adult use, possibly making it onto the 2024 ballot. In January, that measure hit a milestone of having enough signatures to initiate a state Supreme Court review of the measure's language, which is still ongoing. What they're looking for in that review, and what they rejected from the past measures, is that the measure's text doesn't violate the state constitution's single-subject rule. They also want to ensure that the text does not mislead voters in any way. If the measure passes the court's review, then close to 900,000 signatures will be needed before it's officially added to the 2024 ballot. So far, they've acquired more than 420,000 signatures, which means they've got a remaining 471,000 signatures to go, who's currently the state's largest medical marijuana operator. So far, they've contributed about $25 million to the legalization effort. If the measure does make it onto ballots and is eventually passed, it would actually start taking effect just six months after the voters approve it. The measure does have good odds, too. In 2021, a poll found that a 59% majority of Florida voters do support legalizing cannabis for adult use. This is a close enough margin, though, and there are strong political opposers, including the governor, which mean that advocates will still have their work cut out for them if the measure does end up getting on the ballot. Arizona's veterans could soon get free medical marijuana cards. The state's legislators are currently reviewing Senate Bill 1466, which would allow for vets to get free med cards. That bill would also drastically cut down the cost of a medical marijuana card for all citizens in the state as well. So far, the legislation's been passing through checkpoints and receiving bipartisan support. 
Ann Torres, who's the executive director for the Arizona Dispensaries Association, pointed out that the new legislation also opens up medical qualifications to include post-traumatic stress disorder and autism spectrum disorder as qualifying medical conditions. Torres said, We felt that it was really important to provide the veterans in the state access to medical marijuana as they see needed. She added, This is now the right time to make sure that the access becomes even more available. The next step for this bill will be Arizona's House of Representatives reviewing and hopefully passing the legislation before it will eventually be headed over to Governor Katie Hobbs' desk for consideration and potential signing into law. Cannabis icon Snoop Dogg is continuing his industry business ventures with his latest announcement that he signed an exclusive international license agreement with a Canadian-based cannabis company called Atlas Global Brands. Atlas Global CEO Bernie Young said in a statement, Consumers love Snoop, and our collective goal is to deliver premium products in all cannabis categories that will consistently exceed our customer expectations. Snoop's new licensing agreement's for five years, and it will give Atlas Global the exclusive rights to distribute his name and likeness in producing, packaging, manufacturing, distributing, selling, advertising, and promoting cannabis flower and products in legal markets. Snoop said, I chose Atlas to represent and launch my new brands because of their innovation and global reach. I'm excited to work with their team to select my favorite strains for my brands and fans. He added, you know they'll be amazing because they'll be personally approved by me. The federal government has now made available an application to apply for a cannabis pardon certificate. In October, when President Biden requested that administrators review cannabis policy and its status as a Schedule I drug, he also said that he'd be pardoning minor cannabis offenses on the federal level. Since then, advocates have been pressing for a way that people could obtain some sort of document or certificate that shows that they have been covered by this pardon. That way, it could clear up any potential problems that someone might encounter with things such as employment or housing. And this past Friday, the Department of Justice launched an application form that people can fill out for such documentation that would show that they had been granted this clemency. The Justice Department said, to be eligible for a certificate, an applicant must have been charged or convicted of a simple possession of marijuana in either a federal court or D.C. Superior Court, and the applicant must have been lawfully within the United States at the time of offense. Similarly, an individual must have been a U.S. citizen or lawful permanent residence on October 6, 2022. They also clarified that those who were convicted of state marijuana offenses do not qualify for the federal pardon. The U.S. Pardon Attorney's Office says that it estimates there are at least 20,000 applicants who could be eligible for certificates using the new form. The government's notice about the application says that it's simple and it won't take long to complete, somewhere between 10 and 30 minutes. But applicants will need to provide proof of their prior convictions or charges, so that could add additional personal time to gather the information. In other pardon news, under a court order from January... Alaska's Supreme Court will now be clearing the records of people for their past cannabis convictions. Alaska is currently using a state database called CourtView for all their court cases within the state, and this recent clearing will officially remove those records completely from that database as of May 1, 2023. This pardoning order would apply only to cases of simple possession of one ounce or less of cannabis by an individual who's 21 or older. Unfortunately, the new policy doesn't remove the records of cannabis-related convictions from all state databases, though, as past cannabis convictions will still remain on state criminal records maintained by the Alaska Department of Public Safety, which will remain on record at courthouses, and so they could be found in background checks. Republican State Representative Stanley Wright's Chief of Staff, Forrest Wolf, 
pointed out that clearing some of these records could enable more people to qualify for certain jobs. He said, in Alaska, we have a huge workforce shortage. And he added that this new change should help alleviate that problem. Representative Wright sponsoring a bill that would further protect information on individuals' cannabis convictions from being released through criminal background checks. And if passed, that bill could end up affecting up to 8,500 Alaskans. That's all you need to know for today. Be sure to keep listening for the latest updates. And follow us on themnewsnow.com. Later. Later.